Welcome to another episode of the Zenpreneur Podcast, the show for entrepreneurs who want more money and less stress. The Zenpreneur Podcast is hosted by serial entrepreneur and high-performance coach Mario Lanzarotti. Listen as Mario and his inspiring guests share the insights, strategies, and habits that allow you to grow your business with peace of mind so you can enjoy more wealth and freedom. Learn how to build the mindset and habits you need to find the balance between a successful business and a thriving personal life. And now, here is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. Hello and welcome, my dear friends, to the Zenpreneur Podcast. This is your host, Mario Lanzarotti. And today, I have the honor of introducing a very powerful impact maker, Brian Will. He's an industry expert in sales and management consulting, a best-selling author of The Dropout, Multi-Millionaire, and his latest book, No, The Psychology of Sales and Negotiations, and a serial entrepreneur with over 35 years of experience. He has created seven highly successful companies across four industries worth over half a billion dollars at their peak. Today, Brian is a visionary business leader owning restaurants in Atlanta, an insurance and technology company in Denver, and a real estate business in Georgia and Florida. His expertise in turnaround projects and driving billions in sales make him a sought-after consultant and speaker. Brian, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you. Mario, I'm excited to be here. I appreciate you having me on the show, man. This is going to be fun. I think so, too. Brian, tell me, for our listeners... So for us to set the stage, how can you help somebody who's tuning in right now? You know, the majority of the coaching and advisory work that I do is for entrepreneurs in what we call the well-funded startup through 10 million in revenue uh, space. And as I have done consulting over the past 20 some years, I have found that most of the people that are struggling with scaling struggle for some of the same reasons. And most of those are not technical in nature. They're really more soft skill in nature or mental in nature. And so these are the areas that I focus on. I know you focus on those as well. I've, I've looked at your stuff and that seems to be, you know, uh, your sweet spot as well. So I think, well, you know, we can do some good work here today and hopefully some people get, get some good stuff out of it. Beautiful. I love that. So tell me a little bit about how you got to this level of mastery uh, in, in providing soft skills and, and mindset and guidance to so many leaders in so many different industries all over the world. People usually don't just fall into that. There's a story behind that. So I'm curious, where did it all kick off for you? Yeah, there's a story and a principle. And, and one of the primary principles that I talk about is this failure equals success principle, right? And I, and I hear this cliche all the time that you have to fail to succeed. And it makes me cringe every time I hear it because failure doesn't make you succeed. Failure leads to failure leads to failure. It's learning from failure that makes you succeed. You know, entrepreneurs, I'm sure that everything they touch turns to gold. And you know, other people that can't win to save their life. People that can't win to save their life are the ones that never learn from the failures. And the ones that succeed are the ones that learn every single time they fail. Post-analysis failure or post-failure analysis, I mean. So if I have a secret superpower, it's that I have failed so many times and I have learned from every one of those that there's not much I haven't been through or gone through that you're going through that I haven't already been there and done that. And I can both relate to you and help you through it. Hmm. I really like that principle and I want to dive deeper on that. What was your most painful failure and at the same time, the one that you find has taught you the most valuable lessons. Sure. There are two. My first business that I started, I was 21 years old and you'd have to understand my background, rough childhood, a lot of abuse, big, angry kid growing up, chip on my shoulder, failed out of high school at 16, struggled, couldn't hold a job. So I started a business and it was a landscaping company. And I built that up over about eight years into about seven different franchises and thought I was doing really good. And as I like to say, I was doing good until I wasn't. And then that company collapsed. It collapsed for a couple of reasons, but they were huge lessons in my entrepreneurial journey that I've carried with me forever. Mm. The first lesson was I was 80% wrapped up in one client. You'd be surprised how many people think they have a business and what they really have is one client, right? 
they're really self-employed. They have a job working for one person. They just call themselves a business owner. And when that one client left me, it left me holding the bag with 50 employees and seven locations and all kinds of infrastructure and overhead. And number two lesson was I had no capital reserves, no savings, no cash, no way to cushion the fall that I took. And when they pulled that contract from me and I lost 80% of my business, my entire world collapsed. I lost my house, my car. I had a three-year-old child that needed open heart surgery. I couldn't afford health insurance. Those are very tough, powerful lessons to learn. Never get wrapped up in one client and always, always protect yourself with enough capital cash reserves that if something happens, you don't get hurt. Think about COVID. This happened two, three years ago. How many businesses got washed out because they didn't protect themselves from that giant blip in the radar that the world forced on us? So those two big lessons were huge for me, and I've never made that mistake again. So that was my big pain, right? I lost everything. I have a child that needs surgery. I got no money. I got no place to live. I don't have a car. It was tough. Wow. The big, the big life-changing moment for me was probably 10 years later. And I had launched a company with another uh, friend of mine. He was my original first mentor. And I went through the first 15, 20 years in business, not listening to anybody, not having a coach, not having a mentor, thinking that I had to have all the answers, thinking that I needed to know everything and people needed to look at me as the expert. And by the way, as you're, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're the expert, then you have an ego problem. Okay. You need to bring people around you that know more than you. If you ever want to scale to a big level, even Tim Cook, who runs Apple has a board of directors and a personal coach. Right. So, uh, I met my first mentor, Steve, and we had launched a business and we were, uh, we had two companies at the same time, an insurance agency and an online marketing company. And we had gotten to a point after the first year in the internet company where we had blown through a half a million dollars and we had done zero sales. And Steve came into me one day and he said, Hey, we're going to invest another $66,000. And I said, Steve, we, we, we don't have 66,000. I know you're worth 20 million, but I'm worth 20 bucks. <laughs> and I, I'm in debt for a half a million already. And you want to throw another 66,000 at it. And my friend, Steve's wealthy. He's done this before. I've never done it before. Never been successful. Ergo, I had no idea what I was doing. And he said, Brian, it's going to work. And I said, Steve, it's not going to work. You don't understand. It's not working. And he said, Brian, listen to me. I've been there. I've done this. I can see it. I know what's happening. It's going to work. I said, but it's not working. And I'm freaking out over here. And he said, all right, I'll tell you what. I never want money to come between us. So you give me my equity back. I'll wipe out your debt. You owe nothing. We walk away as friends, but you need to decide right now. And I remember sitting at my desk that day, staring at him for like two minutes, thinking this guy's wealthy and I'm not. This guy keeps telling me it's going to work, but I don't see it. Right. I'm blind. And finally I had this breakdown in my head and I said, okay, That's it. If I'm going down, I'm going down with you. You've clearly been more successful than me. So I'm in whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. And 18 months later, we sold that company for $80 million. And I was within two seconds of saying I'm out and my whole world would have been changed. Talking generational wealth for my family on a yes or no, but it was me making a decision to stop listening to myself. I did a podcast called Quit Taking Your Own Damn Advice. It was changing my mental attitude to start listening to somebody who's more successful than me that changed my whole world. So those are my two stories. Mm, man, I love that. There's so much to dissect there. And I, I want to I ask you a couple of things. So first of all, you said the one of the lessons that you learned was never to essentially rely on just one client. And you see a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs are doing that. And when that one client gets taken away, their whole business starts crumbling. And what they really have is not a business, but a job, a glorified job where working mm-hmm. for somebody else. What I'm curious to know is what do you see and what have you seen in yourself and also in other people that makes people go for these kind of deal structures where they do go for one client and then end up relying on them, believing that they are actually a business owner running a proper business? They don't know any better. Uh, that's, that's literally it. They don't know any better. And, and people mm-hmm. get sucked into this thought process that my client's going to be here forever, right? It's like a professional athlete who thinks their career is going to go forever. And so they blow all their money. And then they retire broke. 
business owners do the same thing. They get wrapped up in one client and they think, well, this client's going to go on forever and I'm making money. So I'm going to jack up my lifestyle. I'm going to live like a king. And it doesn't matter that I only have one client because they'll be here forever. And eventually maybe I'll get some more clients, but they don't actually pursue that. Um, there's just so many mental issues with people doing that, that and they don't understand what, what's really going on. And again, this is back to why they need a good coach or a mentor to come in and say, hey, <laughs> you need to fix this problem or it's eventually going to come back and bite you. Yeah. So now that's a great transition to a question that I wanted to ask you at a later point, And that is, when is the best time to invest in getting a mentor or coach, somebody who advises you to make smarter decisions? Day one or even day zero. Listen, if you... If you are going to start a business, I, 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 if you want to start a business, no matter what it is, pick a business. I don't care what it is. If, if you could meet somebody who's already built that business successfully and is making a ton of money, wouldn't it be cool to be able to sit down with them and pick their brain and ask them questions yeah. and say, hey, man, I'm starting up. What should I do or what should I not do? I'm thinking about doing this. How did you do it? And people always go, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome to sit down and talk to somebody. Well, guess what? That's what a coach or a mentor is. You're just having a mental block because that coach or mentor wants you to pay them and you think, well, I don't want to pay for this. I can figure it out myself. The amount of time and resources and money you're going to lose as, as well as opportunity is going to be huge as opposed to paying somebody to take their advice who's already been, that and done, been there and done that can help you. I literally just talked to a person yesterday who I had met six months ago and he started his business and he called me and he said, I'm having problems. And I said, what's up? Well, he didn't set up an operating agreement. He gave out equity for people who didn't earn it. He's now got a dead partner who isn't doing anything and they're stuck in a business. And I'm like, do you know how much, how many problems you have from today to get this guy out where if you'd have just talked to me six months ago, I could, you could have avoided all this pain because I can tell you how to properly structure this so that you don't get messed up in a situation like this. But most of the time, unfortunately, Mario, it's an ego problem because everybody thinks they need to be the smartest person in the room. Okay. I want to dive into that because this is something that I talk about to my clients and I talk about it publicly and you seem to have a greater depth of understanding. Let's talk about this ego problem that you see entrepreneurs have. How would you describe that and how does it show up? Uh, typically it's, let's say you have a young company and somebody starts off, they, they've started their own company, right? Yeah. So what I see a lot of times in young entrepreneurs or solopreneurs or people just starting out is they think that they need to have all the answers or they think they already have all the answers. Even if they hire somebody and we talk about replacing yourself within the organization so that you don't have to work all the time, they hire people and then they don't allow those people to learn and fail. And so they end up taking over their jobs and doing it anyway for them. And then the people they hired fail because they wouldn't let them learn. And then they get stuck in this circle of, I keep hiring and firing people and nobody's, nobody's doing the job. Well, that's because you're not allowing them to learn, right? You got to let people learn and fail. And the reason you're not doing that is because you think you're better than they are. You think you're smarter. You think you're faster. Or you get a guy or a, a, a girl who starts the company and people will come in like a coach and say, hey, man, this is what you need to do. And they go, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to do it my way. So, but, but but your way doesn't work. Like I'll give you an example. I worked with a, an accelerator company and they make, they make these entrepreneurs go through a six week uh, course in advance of ever investing or allowing them into the accelerator for six weeks. They have to go through classes with all these mentors. And at the end of the six weeks, if they pass everything and they get voted on the Island, so to speak, wow. they get, they're allowed to have access to all these multi-millionaire, big exit mentors and coaches and resources. And I asked, I asked the guy running the accelerator, I said, what's your success rate? And he said about 50%. And I said, 50% after you made them go through all that. And he said, yeah. I said, what's the biggest reason they fail? He said, they stop listening. They just stop listening. They yeah. think they're smarter than we are. Yeah. And they inevitably fail. Yeah. One of the things you got to do as an entrepreneur is check your ego, bring somebody in that can help you and then listen. I didn't do that for 20 years. I, I'm guilty as hell of, of that exact same thing until I had that mental breakthrough and then watched what happened to my life. And today I'm the first person to say, Hey man, please help me. I'll take advice from anybody who has good advice to give. So if I paraphrase what you're saying, would you agree that 
the, the this this habit of an entrepreneur not asking for help and sort of being this lo lone wolf and thinking I got to do it myself, I can save money on that is actually mm -hmm. the number one reason why entrepreneurs are not succeeding. Yes, so we call this the 30 degree versus 180 degree vision. Okay? So most entrepreneurs when they're when they're hustling, they're moving, their vision is like right here. It's like 30 degrees of vision. All they can see is what's in front of them and what they're doing. Right. The beauty of having a mentor or coach or someone who's going to come in like yourself is you have a 180 degree division, uh, vision. You can see everything that's going on around them, things that yeah. they're not focused on, things that they don't see. And yet it's clear as day to you, right? Because you're not laser focused on accomplishing four or five tasks in a given day. And so that 180 degree vision is really the superpower of a coach to allow them to go, hey, look at this over here. Look at this over here. This is what's happening. This is going on over here. It's that bigger vision that a coach or mentor brings in, right? Too many entrepreneurs just get laser focused on what they're doing. And, yeah. and the worst part is their ego, we call this an unearned ego, right? Their ego kicks in when they're not succeeding more so when they, than when they are, right? Because right. the more stress they get under, the more they think it's got to be them, 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 and their decision and their decision, right? We call this a red personality in a psychology test. Yeah. People that get in trouble and then won't listen to anything or anybody, that's when you need to listen the most. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, to your point, when you said when things are not working, that's when the ego is the strongest. The way that I explain this is your ego gets triggered by a sense of, of fear, by a sense yes. of, I feel attacked. So yep. your ego is your personal identity. And if that identity uh, perceives itself to be under attack, which I'm not winning, I'm not succeeding, therefore I'm losing, so I'm, at, I'm being attacked, that means psychologically that now you're reverting back to past models of, of uh, frameworks for behavior. So you are literally... It's, it's almost impossible for you to make any new choice. So you are doomed to repeat the stuff that you've always done, which yes. leads to the results that you've always gotten, yes. which then leads to the failure that you're experiencing in the moment. You said it way better than me, and you are exactly right. Fear is, it's more fear than ego. Ego is the easier way to explain it, but it's the fear. You're right. That triggers that. Yeah. 100%. How do you deal with that? Because, you know. We all have an ego. We all have an ego to operate in this in this world. And, you know, I would love to understand how does it show up in your life and what are sort of the mechanisms that you use to transcend that? So there's two things here. I'll give you an example, right? So when I was writing my last book, it's my third book. My second one was a Wall Street Journal bestseller. I'm moving on to my third book and I, I designed a cover for my book, right? Mm -hmm. And I sent it to the publisher and she said, this cover sucks. Gonna, you need to redo it. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. I am a best-selling author and a very successful person. And I think this cover is good. And she's like, I'm telling you, this cover sucks. And we argued for like five minutes. And suddenly I thought to myself, what the hell am I thinking? She's done like a thousand books. I've done two, right? I am letting my ego about to make a decision that is wrong. And I was like, finally, I said, you know what? I'm sorry what do I need to do? And we fixed it and the cover came out good and actually went to number three. The last one was number five, did really well. But that was literally my ego that got in the way and almost made me make a bad decision. Now, I say this because people think one of two ways when they're in decision-making process and the decision-making process, they are either emotional or they are intellectual. We're going to get back to that entrepreneur's ego here in a second. Mm. Most of the time when you're having a problem, you're making emotional decisions as opposed to intellectual decisions. And you can't think emotionally and intellectually at the same time. It's like getting into an argument and you just go crazy and you're just saying all kinds of stupid stuff because you're not, you're not literally thinking about what you're saying. And then later you have to go, man, I was an idiot. I'm sorry, right? Because you're being all emotional, right? If you are thinking emotionally instead of intellectually, that's when you begin to make those bad decisions. Back to what you said, when you get in trouble, when things aren't going well, when you feel attacked, it's all emotion. That's all emotion. Again, the beauty of a coach is it's unemotional and intellectual thought process to keep your emotions in check. So what I tell people is, listen to me, is this an emotional decision or an intellectual decision? Because mm -hmm. if it's emotional, chances are it's wrong. And you need to force yourself, like literally say, 
I am going to make an intellectual decision right now as opposed to an emotional decision. And let's see how I can change that. And if I can't get out of that emotional state, then I need somebody, my coach mentor, to come in and help me think through emotion versus intellect in this decision-making process. If you can learn to do that, then you are going to you know, put your success on in, with rocket fuel. It's going to be huge, yeah. but you got to make yeah. that, you got to make that change. Yeah. That's, that's so valuable. And I totally agree with that. What I'm hearing in, in your share is the way that I uh, tell, uh, tell this is a conscious decision versus an unconscious decision, right? Conscious in, in your case is one that you say intellectual, where yes. you have that sense of oversight, where you are more calm and collected, where you're more centered and you can actually make a decision that isn't coming from the entrepreneurial ego, but one that's actually yielding in higher and uh, higher ROI because you're thinking long term. You're not using something that comes from a short term fixed uh, approach. What I would love to know is because on when you hear this, it's like, oh, of course that makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. But when you're in it, right, you're yeah. all of a sudden you're checking the numbers, you're looking at your monthly goal, and you're checking your numbers, and you're like, oh god, I'm way off. And you're like, oh my god, I'm not doing enough. Oh, I'm stressed out. I got to pay this. When you're there, how do you first of all notice that, and then what do you do to get out of that? Again, if you've got a coach or a mentor, that's your first call. And if you don't. You got to go get one. I mean, I'm, I don't know how to get around that that topic, right? Because yeah. if you think if you're stuck in this emotional state, you don't know how to get out of it, then you're probably not going to get out of it. So you need somebody to help you do that. Somebody has got to come in and help you make the or change that mindset and fix that. Uh, I don't know any other way to say that one. You you need somebody to help you. Yeah, that, that's just the deal. And and again, if your ego won't allow somebody to help you, then you have a bigger problem that you've got to ego check and figure out as well. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, coaching has changed my life and I was fortunate enough to find coaching at a younger age when I was 21 and mm -hmm. it completely changed my life. And now I'm on a mission to bring coaching more mm -hmm. coaching to the world because I see how incredibly powerful it is. How many clients have you had Mario where they're saying something and you're going, listen to me, I'm <laughs> telling you. Well, they say, well, I can't do that. I can see it. It's right there. I'm telling you. And they're like, I just can't see it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's their subconscious, unconscious you know, emotion. It's, it, it's so, I used to, I used to get really frustrated with that because it came from a place of blaming them. Now I'm at a place where I understand that some people, because of the conditioning being so strong, they're just not ready. I've had right. clients that had great results, successes. Then we approached a more delicate topic for them where the conditioning was stronger and they literally started ghosting me. They, they disappeared. <laughs> they disappeared. Yeah. And I reached out to them and said, hey, I, I want you to know I'm not mad. I understand <laughs> it. Come back. You know, you still have this many sessions. You know, we can talk about it. Nothing. But the interesting thing is I say my email newsletter stats and I see they're among the top people that keep reading my <laughs> newsletter to this day. And, you know, it's, it's, I've, I've learned to be more compassionate, more accepting because I know some people, they're not ready and they're not willing. They're not willing to go as deep to really break through from the ego because I want to ask you that. What's the... What is most painful when you break free from the ego? Before you get to the promised land where everything gets better, there's something sure. that happens in between. Yeah, it's uncertainty. Mm. I don't know what the heck's going to happen now. Okay, I've made the decision to be intellectual and not emotional. My coach is telling me to do this. I've made the decision to do it, but there's no success yet. Now I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm flying blind. I, I'm a pilot, by the way. I saw that you actually did some flight training at some point in your career. I call it flying in the clouds. I'm moving 200 miles an hour, but I'm inside a cloud. I can't see what's going on. I don't know what's on the other side, but the coach tells me to just keep on going. It's like instrument flying. I don't have a clue. Can't see anything. So I'm literally just following my instruments down here, which is my yeah. coach doing yeah. what I need to do. And I, I, you just got, look, stick with it. Keep going. It's like my, my, my mentor going, listen to me, this is going to work. And I'm like, but it's not. 
He said, it's going to work. Trust me. Just trust me. It's going to work. And I had to make that mental decision to be like, okay, fine. Here we go. I'm either going to go bankrupt or I'm going to get rich. One of the two. (laughs) Now, besides leaning on a mentor or a coach who's there by your side, who will guide you, do you have other things in your life that you lean on? And what I mean is more in the spiritual realm. Do you sort of believe in a in a higher power, God, life, the universe, or another name that you use this, or is there something else that that you feel gives you that sense of trust that it's going to work out? Um, from a from a spiritual standpoint, I I I am I am as I like to say, I'm good with God. Hmm. Not so good with the church, good with God, if that makes any sense. Yes. Uh, it, and that's a whole interesting long story that I'm not going to get into today. But uh, do I lean on that a whole lot? No, other than the fact that I understand that, you know, the world works the way it's going to work. And my ability to succeed or fail in life is mine Yeah. and nobody else's. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if it's going to be, it's up to me. That's, that's kind of my, mm. my thing. So, Other so things that I lean on, honestly, are books that I read, people that I've chosen to be mentors, either from a book perspective or a podcast perspective. I, right. I just absorb stuff like that and always have. Um, yeah. I'm also extremely careful. I tell people this all the time. You got to be really, really careful who you choose as a coach or a mentor, because if you're allowing them to get inside your brain, you better be sure that they have the goods that they are going to put good stuff in there. Otherwise, you're going to get messed up. So mm. be very, very careful who you allow to coach and mentor you. They better have proven results. So what are, other than proven results, what are sort of your criteria for choosing the right mentor or coach? So I like to say coaching, there's three types of coaching in my world, right? There's relationship or relational coaching. There is technical coaching and there's tactical, right? So relational is... Uh, a lot of the mental stuff, it's, I see a lot of the stuff that you do in your, your speeches and what to me is more relational. It's mental, it's, it's spiritual. It's all that, that, and that, you know, there's a, there's a thing for that. There's technical coaching. Technical is, you know, I'm a software developer and I need to bring a software developer into here to tell me how to do what I do or whatever. And then there's tactical. I am more of a tactical coach, which is straight business. Give me your P and L's. Let's take a look at your history. Let's look at your sales performance. Show me the numbers. And I'm going to show you how to build an organization on paper in a pro forma organizationally. I'm, I'm very tactical in the stuff that I do. Right. So if you come to me for coaching and the very, very first question I'll ask you is give me 24, 36 months worth of P and L broken down by month, by line item in a ledger format. And then we're going to do some analysis on where your company is. So that's what I call tactical coaching. Um, so those are my three types of coaching. And I've completely forgot your question now. <laughs> the question was uh, on what criteria oh, do you, you choose? So if you're going to choose a coach in one of those areas, like if you want a te- technical coach in the software world, I'm not your guy. I had right. somebody call me the other day and they were like, hey, I'm, I'm, I need to raise money for an investment into such and such. And I said, that I'm... I'm not a technical coach in that area. I can't help you. You need to find somebody who's been there and done that. If it's a tactical coach like me, find somebody who's built a business, who's had success doing this type of stuff. If it's a relational, you need to find somebody who is well-known, has done their, you know, their dude has done the work, is, is really good at what they do. Whoever you pick as a coach in any of these areas needs to be an expert in that area. I, I know coaches who are complete failures in business who put themselves out as master business coaches. Hmm. And if you choose that person, you're never going to have more than they have Hmm. because you can't teach something you haven't done. That's why I tell people I'm going to, I'm a tactical coach in this well-funded startup through 10 million revenue. Once you get past 10 million and you're going for a hundred, that's not me. I've never done it. I've Hmm. done zero to 10 multiple times. Mm. hundred never done it. You need to coaches are for a reason and coaches are for a season, right? I may be your zero to 10 million season. After that, you need to go talk to Dan Martell or, you know, somebody mm. else, Bradley, somebody that's much, much, much bigger than me who can help you get to that yeah. next level. So be yeah. very careful, vet these people, make sure that they 
have done what they say they can do. Uh, they've got proven results and then you can open your mind up. I'm very careful about who I let put information in my head. Yeah. Right. I think that's great advice. And now that we're there, I want to get more of your advice as a business strategist. Now let's imagine a business, you're a business owner and you know, you have a great service to sell. Right? Maybe mm -hmm. it's a, let's say it's a coaching service or it's an agency service that you're selling, but you don't have any money to invest into marketing. Mm -hmm. If that was you, what would you do to get to your first 100 clients? You're going to have to build some infrastructure, right? You're going to have to build a presence. You can build a presence on social media free. You just have to go do the work and it's going to take some time. You know, I like to say that there's a hundred steps to success. There really isn't a hundred. It's a, it's a number I'm just throwing out there. We call it the hundred steps to success. And it's right. from where you are to where you want to be. Right. Right. So if, if the top is the top hundred, that's number 100, that's where you want to be. And different people start at different, different levels in this hundred steps. Some people start at 50 because they've got money, they've got backing, they've got the right parents, the right friends. They might start at 50 and they only need to learn 50 things to get to the hundred mark. Mm -hmm. Some people might start at 10. I started at zero. I had no money, no help, no nothing. I was clueless when I started. Hey, some people have, they might start at minus 50. Wherever you start on your journey is where you start. It is what it is, right? And you can't argue that. I mean, you can, but it's a waste of time. But you need to figure out where you are in that journey from zero to 100. Wherever you start, that's where you need to start. And then you need to build to where you want to go. So if you have no money, then you started at zero. Guess what? You're going to have to start and it's going to take longer and it's going to be harder and you're going to have to learn more things and you're going to fail more. And that's just the way it's going to be. You can argue, cry, bitch, moan and complain about that. Isn't going to change a thing, right? Understand where you are, understand where you want to go and understand it's going to take you longer than Mario because Mario's way farther up that ladder than you are. That, that's Unfortunately, that's just the reality of the world. So wherever you are, you start, right? And if it's building social media presence, if it's going out networking, if it's reading more books, if it's learning more things, if it's going to some seminars that are inexpensive, like you can go to a, a, a Bradley event for $20,000, or you can go to uh, somebody who's not quite his level for $1,500 and you might find one for whatever it is you can do, you need to do, but you need to invest in yourself. You need to build that presence and start building your business and yeah. find somebody. Look, I get people call me all the time and say, Hey, would you answer a few questions? Sure. I'm not going to charge you for that. Call me up. I do it. I do every week. People call me and I'm like, sure. Give, I'll give you 30 minutes and I help them. Right. So find some people that'll help you and, and do what you can and get what you can and start moving up that ladder. That's a really refreshing response and a very, very straightforward one. And I really want to highlight what you just said. Somebody who's at your level with your experience, your expertise, and all the things that you've done, you still get people reaching out to you for free and you help them. Sure. There's, there's so many people out there that believe that that's impossible, that no. never dare to even reach out to somebody like you and say, hey, can I ask you a question? But just like you said earlier, that's the very reason why so many entrepreneurs never get to the level of success that they want to be at. But you're actually the living proof of, hey, reach out. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you're not the only person in the world who does that. And I want to know from you, what does that do for you personally? Why, why do you do that? Right? Because so many people are like, well, why would somebody who's so successful even do that? So a couple of reasons. Number one, when I first got into business, everything I did was for money because yeah. I needed money. Right. And I wanted to be successful, right. but then I did that. Right. And I, I achieved a level of success. And, um, today I do things for different reasons. I still make money. Don't get me wrong. And I love making money and I'm going to make a lot of money that, but it's not the hundred percent driving force in my life. So there's, there's two of two people, right? Two mentors of mine. One is a guy named Paul, very successful guy. He was a, one of my original mentors. And after I'd sold a couple of companies, I'd made a ton of money. I was having lunch with him one day and he said, now, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, Paul. I think, I guess I'll start another business. And he goes, why? I said, I, I don't know what else to do. I've hmm. been working dark to dark for 25 years, seven days a week. He said, do you need the money? And I said, no. 
And he said, Brian, what's your passion? And I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. Hmm. I don't, passion is not a word that's ever come into my vocabulary in 25 years. I worked, I worked my ass off hmm. to get where I'm at. And he said, listen to me, I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be happy for the rest of your life, you're going to have to do two things. Number one, you're going to have to find a passion, whether it's monetary or not, that you can follow. And number two, you're going to have to find a way to give back to the world that gave you everything that you have today. And until you do those two things, you're not going to ever be truly happy. Now that's story one. Let's follow that up 15 years later. I was over on Necker Island, which is where Richard Branson lives. I assume you know Richard Branson. Yeah. I was over there a couple of weeks ago. And I asked him one night, we were sitting in the temple. If you know anything about it, there's a temple where the elders of the world meet. It's crazy. Richard Branson's life is crazy. And I said, Richard, you're, it was your 73rd birthday that night. I said, Richard, it's your 73rd birthday. Why are you still going? You live in paradise. You have hundreds of companies. You're worth billions of dollars. And here you are hanging out with 14 entrepreneurs from around the world, spending breakfast, lunch, and dinner with us, going kite surfing and taking the boats out to different. Why are you doing this? I don't understand. You've got, you've got nonprofits and you help entrepreneurs all over the world. I don't understand. what he, And he said, listen to me, Brian. If you have a talent or a skill set, and that can be business and your ability to make money, if you have a talent and a skill set and you have the ability to use that to help other people to make the world a better place, then you have an, you have an obligation as a human being to go do that. And that was like a jaw-dropping moment for me. And it reminded me back to my friend Paul who told me, you better have a passion and you better be learn how to give back or you're never going to be truly happy. So that's a very long answer to your question. Mm, it's a beautiful answer. And it's one that I can very much relate to because that's exactly the reason why I do what I do every day. And I, I, I can totally you know, subscribe to that. I was just sharing this the other day with my wife. I was saying that this, what I do here, is actually my life insurance. Because whenever I do it, I'm in the best state. I, I love sharing. I love offering value. I love, I love coaching people more than anything because it allows me to help them have a breakthrough that they couldn't have for themselves. And as you know very well, these breakthroughs help you save years of yeah. time, money, and energy and help you avoid suffering and actually live a life of joy, passion, freedom. And so I totally you know, underline what you say. And I also want to ask you a slightly different question because that's something that I've asked myself. What's the dark side to that? What's the dark side to being the entrepreneur that is so focused on making a difference and making an impact Ooh, and always That's an knowing... easy answer. What, by what the way, that? what I hear you say and how I like to say it is when you're doing that, you're a better human being personally mm. when you're in that state of helping people. I like to say when I'm doing what I love to do, I'm just a better human being, right? The dark side of that, and this is simple. I don't know how big your social media presence is, but how many people get on your social media and call you names, call you a fake, mm. say that you're, I get literally, there are people that have nothing better to do in their life than try to tear, tear people down. That's, that's their sole purpose. They have no other use. They, so The dark side is the number of people who try to tear you down for doing something when you're really just trying to help. And that can be very discouraging if you get too wrapped up in it. And you see this with any celebrity athlete, anybody of any brand. I mean, I have an online hate group, right? <laughs> But, what, why? I have no idea. I mean, they, so that's the dark side. You have to be able to put up with the haters and the people that want to tear you down for trying to help other people. That, yeah. That's the dark side. Does, does that sometimes get to you? Oh, of course it does. If you read it and then you get sucked into reading it mm. and then you get mad and then you got to, you got to be like, what am I doing? Close mm. this, shut it down. These people are just, they're haters. You got to move away from them. Yeah. Thank you for not sharing. Success, yeah. Not a successful person out there who doesn't have a hater group. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say that because on my social media, I don't think I've reached the reach yet where that's a reality. However, With my TEDx talk, that's almost at 1.3 million views. Sometimes, out of fun, I check it and I look at the newest comments. And 
the vast majority is very positive and, and beautiful to read. And then there are some comments <laughs> where I'm like, the worst TEDx talk of my yeah. life. Like, <laughs> this is, there's zero value here. And I laugh. And when I read it, I laugh. But at the same time, there was a comment once where I was like, ooh, I, I felt that. And then exactly, I got caught into what you just shared. It was like, if I continue reading now, my mind will continue looking for more negative comments so I can feed on that. So my, yeah. my ego can feed on that and I can get myself down into that tunnel. And, you know, online presence is one thing because you can just switch it off, ignore looking mm -hmm. at it. What about your personal life? Have you had experiences where the higher you grow the more some people in your personal life try to sort of pull you down to their level or critique you or like, have you had experiences with that? I will tell you that that is very prevalent when you are starting your business. And I forget yeah. who I heard say this the other day. I think it was, uh, oh gosh, Dan Martell, I think said this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know who Dan Martell is. Yeah. And he said, if you're starting your business and you've got big goals and big dreams and it's outside of what you've ever done before, then your friends and family are probably going to try and pull you down, right? And they're doing it for a couple of reasons. A, they don't want you to leave them. B, they don't think you're ever going to be successful. So what the heck are you doing trying to be more successful than they are? But I think you will find that the more successful you get, the less that's going to happen. You'll True. move from people trying to pull you down like that on a personal level. And then it moves to this third-party social media nonsense. Like at my level in life, um, nobody's, nobody's trying to pull me down anymore because it, you know, I win. Right. Right. The evidence is there. It's clear. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. when you haven't yet made it that people are going to be taking shots at you more so than after you have, after you yeah. have, they all want to be your friend. Yeah. That, that, that's so true. I actually didn't think about this because when I reflect back on my journey, when I got started exactly to your point, Everybody was like, what are you doing? This is, what if this is not going to work out? When are you going to do something that's actually real? And, you know, many years down, down, uh, down the road, oh, I always knew you were going to win. Now they're bragging to their friends that they know you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know Mario. He's my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, but, you know, it's, I find it's, it's human nature in one way. We are herd animals. We want to stay connected and we see connection through a sense of similarity oh mm -hmm. you're you're also broke i'm broke yay let's go to yeah. the broke club right and just like successful people oh you're you're rich i'm rich great hey let's go to the rich <laughs> club so it's it's human nature and yeah. you know you you've shared a lot about uh about your personal stories and uh, i also appreciate you being open and vulnerable and and, and you know cuz one of the things is i see in business is I find authenticity is often lacking. You just hear people about the perfect picture. Hey, it's all great. You know, get Facebook to the Facebook happy. Level. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I appreciate you being open. I do want to use some of the time for some of more your gems because I know that you are really good at sales. Right. You even wrote a book about it. Um, and so I want to understand a little bit more about your philosophy and maybe if we could tailor it to the philosophy of somebody who sells in the realm of higher tickets, right? Maybe you're coaching agency owners or even real estate. You're selling higher tickets. What's your philosophy, your success philosophy there? Successful salespeople talk way less than they think they should. That's number one, right? So, I, I, and I say this about the, the secret to being a good CEO is asking questions. The secret to leading an organization is about asking questions. And the secret to sales is about asking questions. Mm. So my book's called The Psychology of Sales and Negotiation. And it's based around the premise that we need to ask more questions. We need to find out more information. We need to stop trying to sell people and, and just keep digging into what they want, right? Um, the other issue in my book, again, being this, about psychology is too many sales organizations or sales trainers out there are trying to teach people how to overcome objections after the sales process has ended, right? And that is absolutely the wrong time to be trying to overcome an objection. You need to know what those objections are before you ever start a sales process. Mm. In other words, if I, 
go into any organization and I don't care what they sell and go to the top salespeople or even all of them. And I say, give me your top five objections. You're going to, you're going to find the same objections pretty much every single time, whatever the product is. So if we already know what the top objections are going to be, then we don't need to wait until we've already pitched our product to start working on those objections. We need to build a sales process around overcoming those objections mm. before the client has the opportunity to have them. If price is an objection, then we need to understand that and we need to start working on whatever that price objection is going to be. If time is the objection, then we need to work on what the time objection is going to be. And we start from the very beginning, from the very first thing that comes out of your mouth, right? When we have to overcome our number one objection. And every sales process, by the way, deals with the same number one objection. You know what that is? People don't like salespeople. Mm -hmm. And they don't, it's not that they don't like them personally. It's that they're afraid of them. Right. They're afraid of being sold. They're afraid of the unknown. They don't know what's going to happen next. They don't want you to sell them something that's more expensive than what they could have got at someplace else. They don't want you to push them to buy something that they don't want. They're afraid of being sold because people generally think salespeople are magic and they have a voodoo and they're going to make you do things you don't want to do, right? So if we know the very first objection in any sales environment is that the person doesn't trust you because you're a salesperson, they don't like you because you're a salesperson, they don't think you're looking out for their best interest because you're a salesperson, you're going to try and sell them because you're a salesperson. If we know that's the first objection. Then we need to build a sales process around that, right? We need to begin to lower that wall of mistrust between you and the client, right. which is there in every sales situation the minute they lay eyes on you or hear your voice. So we got to build a sales process around that. And that involves both specific and general scripting based on whatever it is you're selling. And then we build a process for you to start overcoming the objections. So by the time you get to the end of the process, there isn't really a close anymore. They've already basically closed themselves or they haven't. Mm. As I like to say, every sales process ends in a yes, a no, or a clear direction. Mm. Too many salespeople think that their objective is to get a sale. And it's not. Right. Their objective is to get an answer. Right. And we already know they're not going to close 100% of the people they talk to. So whatever the acceptable percentage is, it's 20%, then 80% of the time, you're never going to sell this person. We already know that going in. So why are we trying to close the 80% that are never going to close? We need to learn what a no is, move past it, so we can spend our time more productively working on the 20% we are going to close. Yeah. So these are how we build sales processes, overcoming objections before they have them, not at the end, finding out what a no is, understanding that process, knowing what our close ratio is, and then learning how to move through the no's to close more of the yeses. Yeah. And if we can do that, your sales process will, and your sales results will go up significantly in any organization. So I like this. This is very good. And in fact, I want to read your book. <laughs> How would you say, I would say I was your client, right? And mm -hmm. I would tell you, okay, trust is uh, by the very nature of it. It's part of the game, right? There's sure. a coach here. He wants to sell me something. And then money is often uh, a concern that comes up. Yep, how would you approach, or how would you advise me to approach that in your specific philosophy? All right. So what is it you want to buy, Mario? Pick a product. Um, mindset coaching. Coaching. Okay. So I would say, listen, Mario, I understand you're looking for some coaching. Is that correct? Yes. All right. We got a yes out of you. There's number one. Mm -hmm. Here's how this process needs to work. Okay. In order for me to even determine whether or not I can help you, I need to ask you a bunch of questions. Is that fair enough? Yes. Okay. Once I go through those questions, if we make a determination that what I am offering is something that can help you, I will go over options. I'll go over some pricing plans. And then if that works for you, I'll go ahead and let you decide if this is something you want to move forward with. Now, is that fair enough? Yes. Okay. So what did I do in that, that little opening monologue? Three yeses. I got three yeses. I've also told you that I'm not going to sell you. I'm going to let you decide. I'm not going to give you some crazy price. I'm going to tell you your pricing and let you decide, right? But I need to start with asking you a whole bunch of questions to even figure out if what I'm offering is something you want. In other words, mm. I'm not going to sell you. We're going to determine whether I can help you or not. And then we're going to, if you think I can, if you think I can, by the way, you're going to think I can because I'm pretty good at what I do. Right. Then I'm going to run over some pricing 
And then I'm going to let you decide. And the last thing I say is, Mario, is that fair enough? And your answer is yes. I have basically given you this little baby verbal contract. And as long as I stick to what I said I was going to do, you will begin to trust the process. Right. Because you're no longer afraid of being sold. I told you, you get to decide. You're no longer afraid of the unknown. I told you exactly what's going to happen. And as long as I do what I say I'm going to do, you'll begin to like me. You'll begin to trust me. You'll begin to think I'm looking out for your best interest. I will, I will then go through my process of making my connection and talking about the fact that I was down in Cape Town and ate some warthog meat. And I went up to Johannesburg and did a safari and I did the whole seven mile beach walk back and forth. I got burned to hell on that beach because there's no place to hide if you've ever been to seven mile beach. Uh, so we're going to start to make some connections, right? Uh, and at the end, you'll start to like me because we'll laugh and we'll have a good time. Right. But it all begins with that first objection. And the first thing I just went through with you, if you'll do that on that sales process every time, it will make a world of difference in your sales. Right. And so let's say that all happens. And then we get to the pricing and say the person says, hey, this is something that can actually really help me. I like it. And then I say the price, let's just pick arbitrary number $10,000. And they've never okay. invested $10,000. So you got way ahead of the process here. I'm just telling you right yeah. now. One of the first things I would say is, tell me a little bit, little bit about what you're looking for. And you'd say, well, I want to do this, this, and this. I'd say, all right, I've done this many times with many other people. I can tell you right out of the gate before we get too far down the road. Remember when I talked about understanding a no? Because if I can understand a no, which is 80% of the people I talk to, then mm. I'm not going to waste a hell of a lot of time on you. Right. So the first thing I would say before we even get, I'm not going to pitch you my whole product before I talk about that. That's crazy. Right. I'm going to say, listen, Mario, I've done this with some other clients. We've had some good success. I will tell you, based on what you've told me, that my range of services are going to be anywhere from about five to $15,000, depending on the levels that you want to be at. Now, you need to tell me, because I don't want to go through and explain every single thing that, that we have available at every price point. You tell me what price point you're comfortable with, and then we'll, we'll dig into that. Mm, are you more comfortable at five, or do you want to go 15, or do you want to go someplace in the middle? Interesting. And when okay. you say, well, what's five? Okay, let's talk about that. And this is what we can do for you. And then I would say, does that level of service fit within the $5,000 uh, range that you gave me? And you're going to say yes or no. If you say no, I, 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 then we're getting closer to a no, right? Hmm. Or I can, you say, yeah, that, that would be awesome. I said, do you want to hear about the 10 or are you happy with the five? Ah. Right? This is all psychology. So always remember if you were the salesperson, let's see, if you were, how can I say this? Right now I'm the salesperson. I always look at it like this. If somebody was telling me what I'm telling you, how would I react? So does that make sense the way I said it? If somebody was telling me what I'm telling mm -hmm. you, how would mm -hmm. I react? And if I would react negatively to what I'm saying to somebody else, then I shouldn't say that. Oh, this is so good. This it's is like so I tell good. people in telemarketing, right? If you're, if you're a cold caller, I always ask people, okay, so we're in a room of cold callers and I've done this with yeah. an outbound call operation. I say, how many of you got a call last night on your cell phone? And like 25, 30% of the room raises their hand. I said, as soon as you look down at your phone and you rec didn't recognize the number, what was the thought that went through your head? And they were like, telemarketer. I'm like, exactly. And what did your mind do when that happened? They were all like, we don't like them anymore. Exactly. So if that's the way you think, that's the way they think. And how many of you actually picked up the phone and the person said, hi, is this Mrs. Smith? And immediately, you know that they don't know you. And so what does your brain do? It doesn't like them even more. Right. So however you're going to react is how they're going to react. And you need to not react that way. Or they, you need to figure out a way to get them not to react. So this is the process we take salespeople through to try and overcome the objections before people have them. Yeah. Do you outline all of that or a majority of that in your book? It's generalized because everything is specific to the oh. industry, the product and whatnot. But I do go through specific examples of doing this type of stuff. Yes. Great. So I recommend everybody get the book. I will certainly get the book. How do we get the book? Brianwillmedia.com. I used to say www.brianwillmedia.com, but all my friends are like, why are you putting a www in front of it? That's so old school. You're old. Yeah. So now I just say brianwillmedia.com. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> make sure to add the, this into the show notes. I have a few more questions that I want to ask you um, sure. before we wrap up. Um, let's talk about AI. 
right? This is mm-hmm. a whole monumental shift happening. It's happening at, at rates that we can't comprehend. I personally use chat GPT-4 a lot. Uh, for me, it's been an absolute game changer. I'm loving it. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on AI. Do you use it? Do you see uh, it being useful or do you see it potentially being dangerous? Unbelievably powerful. I do use it as an idea creator because it's beyond anything I've ever done before. How many times do you sit down and go, oh my gosh, what do I do with this? You can literally plug in the craziest stuff into ChatGBT. I can say, I want to plan a trip to South Africa, but I want to go through England first. And I may or may not go through Amsterdam. But then when I get there, I want to do this and that. And then when I do this or that, I really want to do it at a, a high level. I mean, you can plug in the most unbelievable detail and it will spit stuff out. It's just crazy what it'll do. So as an idea generator, it's it's beyond awesome. I mean, beyond awesome. Particularly if you're building social media stuff, it'll do about anything now. So yes, it's unbelievable. Um, You ask another question, is it dangerous? So uh, I'll go on a limb here. And and I just did a reel on this the other day. And I don't know if you looked at much of my social media, but do you know where virtually 100% of all the advanced AI chips are made in the world? Um, the way you ask virtually a hundred percent of all AI chips. It's uh, not in the U.S. No, it's in Taiwan. It's the Taiwan Chip Manufacturing Company. Oh. And if we believe that AI is going to potentially have the power to run the world, and we and we know that virtually a hundred percent, and I'm talking Microsoft, AMD, Google, everybody uses their chips. If we know that those chips are all manufactured in Taiwan. What do we also know about Taiwan? We know China thinks they own it and they're Mm -hmm. thinking of invading it and taking over. And what happens if China owns all the AI in the world? I don't like that idea. Think about it. That's the danger. U S better get, or somebody better get kicked into gear producing some of this stuff before we give over the power running the world to a foreign, foreign country that may not have our best interests at heart. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's something to to really think about. I think uh, you made a ver- valid point there. Um, one last question I want to ask you, and that is, since, especially you, since you have such a passion and um, a, a strong, successful experience with mentorship and with relationships, if you could get an hour of time from any person, dead or alive, who would it be? And what would you get this person's advice on? Dead or alive. Uh, mm-hmm. I got to tell you, um, my two top business people that I wanted to meet on my bucket list, one was Richard Branson, and I got to spend five days with him. So that was, to me, unbelievably awesome and incredible. Um, yeah. No way I can replace that experience. It was Richard's just an amazing human being. Yeah. Um, my second person I would really want to sit and have that kind of conversation with is Elon Musk, because mm. this is a man who is changing the world. Literally. If there's ever been a case for somebody changing the world, he's doing it. And right. I would love to get inside, you know, his head for a little while and talk to him only because I think it'd be the most fascinating thing. When you, when you sit and listen to him talk, sometimes it just amazes me. Now, those are two of my people that, from a coaching mentoring standpoint, I've, I've had some conversations with, uh, some really cool guys. Dave Meltzer was one of my favorites. He's, Mm. you know, he's a personal coach to two of the top 50 CEOs in the world. Um, I'd love to spend some time, uh, with Bradley and, um, with Dan Martell. I think those two guys, I I connect with them on a personal and business level quite a bit. Mm. And also, Hermosi, this guy Hermosi, who I just literally ran across, bought his book and started reading it last night. Him and I have very similar backgrounds. I love his stories. I might want to spend some time with him. And by the way, if you've read any of his stuff, he has like a three-pronged approach. This gets back to something we talked about earlier. He doesn't charge for his services up front. You go to his his websites, it's all free. The book you can buy for $17.99, $100 million uh, offers. He talks about that. He goes, I don't charge people for help. I give my help away for free because eventually, you know, they'll come back and they'll do this with me and I'll help them get, he said, let's see, from three to five million, he does for free from five million and above, you know, he'll start to help you because he wants to partner with you at some point on business. So he, he takes a very long-term long game approach 
to business. And I love that. So I would say Dan Martell, Bradley, and, and Hermosi would be the three that I would love mm. to spend time with. Those are great, great examples. I'll definitely sit in with you uh, in those meetings and then uh, <laughs> listen in. Uh, Brian, you've been a, a, an amazing guest. You've dropped so much value. I highly recommend that whoever you are listening right now, watch this again, take notes, and make sure that you get his book. And Brian, um, before we close, what is the best way to connect with you? And is there a personal invitation for somebody who's listening that you have? Yeah, brianwillmedia.com. If you go there, I mean, you've got all my contact information on there. There's a whole section where you can send me emails. And, you know, if you want to talk about some stuff, go to the website, check it all out, drop me an email. I respond to pretty much everybody that, that uh, jumps on there and I do it personally. So nobody else does that for me. So yeah, love to talk to people. That's amazing. I will be sure to add all of those links in the show notes. Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insights with us today. Um, I hope we will have another conversation in the near future. And thank you for being an amazing uh, um, contributor to the Zenpreneur podcast. And with that, we are complete. <laughs>